On today's show, we have an unbelievable interview with ex-NHLer Randy Moeller. He gets into embarrassing draft stories, world juniors in the 80s, playing and protecting Hall of Famers such as Peter Stastny, Pat Lafontaine, and many more. We then get into our past weekends, including the UFC fights, how much money Nathan lost, and how jealous Kale was of Nathan. And as always, we give the people their shower thought of the day. Let's go. I'm Nathan Baylor. I'm Caleb Bluston. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Minimal Filter. Minimal Filter. Minimal Filter. This amazing interview with Randy Muller is brought to you by none other than Shoddy. But wait, same company, new ad read, so listen closely, we got some good news for you fans. This company is revolutionizing jewelry one Shoddy at a time. These necklaces are multifunction and one hell of a conversation starter. These incredible necklaces have a shotgun tool built into every single pennant. They will tear through beer cans and create a perfect hole every time for you to guzzle down your drinks. For everyone listening right now, we are offering a special discount code just for you. Use MFers20 for 20% off your next purchase at theshoddy.com. That's T-H-E-C-H-O-T-Y.com. They've got everything from the Canada design to a mullet man shoddy. Follow these beauties at the shoddy on Instagram, and you'll see why you need this. Yeah, I mean, you butchered it the first three <laughs> times. Oh wow, it's yeah. been a while. Fuck me, I haven't spoken. Yeah, for like two weeks. Uh, we won't get into too much. We won't talk too much here. But I mean, we just finished the interview about probably an hour ago. I mean, he was fucking yeah. unbelievable. He was really good. It's it was so much fun. He was he was really like I said this like right when we got off. He was so natural, right? Yeah. Like I mean, and there's a reason why he's in media now. I mean, he mm-hmm. talks so well, and he's such a good like natural storyteller. I mean, we just asked like we'd ask him questions like you know it was like playing back then, but then he would talk about it, and then he'd be like. And here's a story about that time, yeah. right? Which was fucked. Like, it made it so much easier for us. Mm-hmm. Um, and it made, like, honestly, it made the interview a lot more fun as well. So Absolutely. And, like, I was, I'll admit right now, I was a little bit nervous before because I, I don't know this guy. I didn't know him before. And he's an ex-NHL player. So it's kind of cool. It's I mean, it's I played hockey. You played hockey. So getting to interview an ex-NHL player is huge. Um, but he was so, like, just... Everything was just flow, and after like the first five minutes, it was like shit. This is actually gonna be a lot of fun. So yeah, he was he was a tough guy. Minutes. I mean, for anyone who like doesn't even like listen or I mean, guess sorry, watch or played hockey. I mean, it's a really fun interview. He gets into cool stories about just being around the around that time, and I mean, how different the lifestyle really was mm-hmm. back then. Um, most kids our age probably won't know um, who he is, but I guarantee you, all your moms and dads probably will if you guys ever watch hockey so absolutely um kale do you have anything else before we send it over no i got nothing just enjoy the interview and tell your fathers because they'll know them yeah tell your dads all right uh without further ado we are going to send it over to randy moeller all right we are pleased to welcome on an ex-nhler who played over 800 games racked up over 1600 penalty minutes over a span of 14 seasons and won a world junior gold medal for team canada in 1982 he is now the Vice President of Broadcasting for the Florida Panthers and TV Color Analyst. It is our pleasure to bring on Randy Moeller. First off, thank you so much for coming on. Um, how are you doing in Florida right now? Great, great, guys. Great to be on with your podcast. And, uh, yeah, I think it's a little warmer down here than it is in, uh, in Alberta. Yeah, you can't argue that for a second. It hasn't been too terrible yet. We've had a pretty easy winter, but it's, it's soon to come around the corner. I can, I can promise you that much. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So uh, before we get into the more intellectual questions, there's one I just want to get out of the way. 
I need to ask. So your hockey DB picture has some very, very thick chest hair that either looks like you shaved it to stop it before your neck. So two questions. Did you stop your chest there intentionally and not realize the jersey didn't cover it? Or is there a natural stoppage of the chest right below your neck? I, I, I've uh, been growing body hair since I've been about seven years old. So. <laughs> maybe that, maybe that explains why, uh, I was, uh, able to get into the bars in my hometown in Red Deer when I was yeah. 15. No fake uh, ID, nothing. Just walked right in. No, you got what I, I mean, I, my five o'clock shadow starts at about two 15 in the <laughs> afternoon. So I've never, the only problem is now guys, and, and you'll, you'll, you'll probably experience it when you get to my age, whether you can't grow any hair where you want to, but you can grow it everywhere else in your <laughs> nose and ears and back and everywhere else. So can't wait uh, for those yeah, guys. Luckily we're not, we're not there yet. Um, not, that, not there yet. Yeah. No. Uh, so that's kind of funny. We were, I wanted to start off with kind of a story that I kind of heard um, from when you're back in Red Deer, uh, a story involving your mom's vehicle when uh, you and a couple of buddies might've taken it out before any of you had your licenses. Um, so kind of tell us about uh, exactly how that went down and how you found a way out of that predicament. Well, uh, my parents, we used to have a trailer and they would go out and park it either, you know, Pine Lake, which is close to Red Deer, Sylvan Lake, uh, Buffalo Lake, different places. And they used to go out on weekends. And when I got to be, what, 14, um, they trusted my brother and I, Mike, uh, to stay home alone and that. And my father, he purchased this old car it was uh early 19 uh mid 1965 ford with the three on the tree and the whole bed and he parked it in the back and a couple times he let me go out and drive it with him and that's how basically i learned how to drive when i was 14 and that and they went out camping one weekend and i had a few buddies over and also there was this huge dance we had friends that are up uh, in Wetaskiwin, north of red deer yeah. they were having a huge dance up there and we wanted to go there in the worst way of course we had no way of getting there and the temptation was just too much just too much <laughs> And the keys were left on the dresser in my parents' bedroom. <laughs> and we decided, well, me and three of my buddies, we decided let's uh, let's go for a spin. And then we got brave enough after driving around the, uh, the neighborhood for a while that maybe we should do a little road trip. And so we headed up to Itasquin. Uh, couldn't find the dance. We got up <laughs> there too late. And we were driving downtown with Tasquin, and uh, sure enough, we get pulled over by the police. <laughs> so we spent the night. And the, the funny story was my father was an RCMP for a few years in Wetaskiwin and knew all the police officers there. Yeah, every single one. And so they were able to get a hold of him at the campsite and that. And one of my friends, Ricky Bowles, his father had to come and pick us up. And my father just made a phone call to a good friend of his that had a car dealership in Wetaskiwin and told him, just go pick up the car and sell the car. So that was the end. Of, <laughs> so that was, that just, was the, that was got the, rid of the evidence. Yeah. I got rid of it. And that, <laughs> and uh, yeah, my parents were, were not too, not too impressed, but um, it was uh, about a year later. Uh, I was only 15. I was working construction in between playing hockey and I had my own car without a license. I bought my own car and that's so I get back and forth to the, uh, to the construction site 
out east of Red Deer and that. So that, yeah, that's the story. Uh, there's yeah. there's many stories like that. Uh, I don't recommend it to anybody or <laughs> yeah. anybody that's listening. But um, yeah, there's a, a few lot stories. A lot different nowadays, for sure. Like I don't think that I don't think that would be doable nowadays for any of us without our licenses. No. So even in small towns yeah. nowadays too, there's always something that that you can't do anymore that you could do 30, 40 years ago. And 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 the funny part, a funny part of it was when we got pulled over. And the police officer and another police car came. And of course, they knew my father and they were walking back to the car. And of course, we were just petrified sitting in the car. What are we going to do? What's going to happen to us? What? And they're killing themselves laughing. They're killing themselves <laughs> laughing. So it was kind of a it was kind of a big joke in that. And I think they had a lot of fun with my father, teasing my father over their oh, um, sure. Yeah, their delinquent son. That's awesome. Um, so I guess fast forward two or three years from there, we'll get into your junior career now. And yeah. my first question would be, how did you manage to get over 400 penalty minutes in just two seasons? Cause that's unheard of nowadays, obviously. Uh, bad refereeing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We all blame yeah, that, that's, I guess. That's eh? definitely what it was, yeah. <laughs> well, I was one of the bigger guys and, and playing junior hockey and, and that, and that was my style. It was said, and at the time guys, you remember back in the, just the early, um, 80s early 80s and that and leading up to my draft year that was when they were just coming out of the broad street bullies the philadelphia flyers and yeah there was a lot of tough players that played in the nhl so scouts are looking for because they believe that's the way the game is going to continue to be played which obviously we all know now that skill is taken over and and those days are are thankfully long gone but they're always looking for big physical especially right-handed shooting defensemen that was tough that could fight and that and um i played into it i I mean that was part of my it was part of my uh dna it was part of my makeup and i knew that if i played that style that i'd have a good chance of um possibly you know having a good junior career and possibly get drafted i didn't know that i'd be drafted in the first round but um uh and like i said obviously the game has changed now and I'm just, it's amazed how the skill level of the players that are getting drafted, especially defensemen, mm-hmm, all these yeah. de- young defensemen that can handle a puck and, and lead the rush and, yeah, and, that, and, that, and that's, and that's the exciting part. But back then that wasn't the case. If, if you were a five foot nine or five foot 10, 160 pound defenseman, you didn't have a chance to make in the NHL unless, unless you were really, really skilled. And had a mean streak, but uh, I'm just glad the game has changed. Yeah, no, I mean, you look at guys, you could just take two guys from the same team. You could look at Kale McCarr and Bowen Byram, like two unbelievable skaters who, I mean, yes, they they obviously can protect themselves and they throw big hits every once in a while, but I wouldn't say either of those guys have a mean streak to them at all. So No, and we just, you know, with the Panthers, we just uh, played against Vancouver Canucks with Quinn Hughes. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, Adam Fox with the New York Rangers. And that that's the way the game's going now. I mean, um, the, I, I like to tell the story now with, towards the end of my career because the game had started to change by the time I was finishing my career. And I was known as a stay-at-home defenseman. <laughs> you, the only problem was at the end, the team told me to stay at home. So <laughs> took the term too literally, I yeah. guess. Eh? Yeah. Yeah. Stay at home <laughs> defenseman. Now you have to stay at home. So uh, <laughs> not quite <yeah>. the same. <laughs> no. Uh, we'll go back to quickly the uh, world juniors. I mentioned that in the intro. Mm-hmm. So kind of um, just kind of talk through that experience. I mean, not only what it, what it was like winning gold, but also winning it with your brother. 
Yeah, it was a special time in our lives. And uh, there was a number of different uh, aspects of that. Um, and, and it's hard to believe for young people like yourself that are watching this podcast that back in the day, they didn't even televise the tournament. So a few of the games were on radio and that um, we were really that year were really uh, we, we won the gold medal. And I think that opened up a lot of eyes and, and that that it, it, it's become a, a very popular tournament and the media and the fan interest really bolstered that when we won it that year. Um, a lot of people don't realize that the, the tournament was split into two spots. It started in Winnipeg and then it ended up in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and a couple of games around Minnesota. We actually won uh, and clinched the gold medal game in Rochester, Minnesota, which is an hour and a half south of Minneapolis. Yeah. And we played in front of maybe 1,800 fans. And uh, that was yeah. it. We and played a couple games. Yeah. And then now, of course, so, you know, TSN and and millions of people watching and, you know, 15, 18,000 people in attendance at uh, wherever they play the tournament. But um, the other thing was, yes, uh, my brother, Mike, uh, was, a, you know, I was able to play with him. Uh, that was a great feeling. He ended up scoring the, uh, the game tying goal for us to clinch his jerseys in the hockey hall of fame in Toronto, uh, for that feat. And the last thing was, um, my father, he and Troy Murray, uh, Troy Murray's father actually came to the tournament in Winnipeg and, and, uh, watched the, the first couple of games there. And when we beat the with Russians on Christmas day and, and that, so, for my father to be there, there was a special time and to play with my brother and, and we had a great time. But at the time, guys, we had no idea, like the way the tournament it is now and the media focus and everybody, you know, playing for Team Canada and, and that we just got brought together. And hey, uh, yeah, we're uh, playing in a tournament and uh, your name's on our list. Would you like to uh, show up in Winnipeg and uh, OK, can my brother come? <laughs> yeah we're going on the team and 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 that and really had no knowledge of it you know because the history of it now now you talk like yourselves and 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 kids that are 15 16 17 years old or even younger than that about playing for the world junior championship and represent your country it's a special special thing just like playing for the olympics at the time it was just oh it's just this tournament that they're having and uh and that but it was it was a great feeling and very honored very honored to be a part of it yeah know, and sure. wasn't it um before like i think it was only a couple years before they changed it so that way like before it was just the winning team of the chl didn't that who represented did that change Correct. like a couple years before you got chosen i i think that w- might have been guys that might have been the first year that they actually didn't just take one team. They, they actually took an all-star team and, 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 and across another side story that you guys will like this one. Um, so we're getting ready to play our first game and we hear that they're going to bring in a player and they, they end up bringing in a player, Garth butcher, who was a very tough and uh player and uh, played for the Regina pack capitals and, and very tough, but he was a good player as well. And they brought him in, and right before the tournament, they we had to cut a player, 
it was the Hall of Famer Al McGinnis of the Calgary oh, Flames. So sure. Yeah, <laughs> oh, imagine God. that. Yeah, Al McGinnis. Al McGinnis got 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 cut, and he was so upset, and we were upset as well, and and that. But uh, kind of a footnote, you know, he ends up having a Hall of Fame career, yeah. and 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 that. But he he got cut, and 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 uh, right before the tournament. So that must have lit a fire under his ass then, and motivated him because he oh. he had quite a career for himself. Boy, could he shoot the puck? Yeah, yeah. Chopper could really <laughs> shoot, shoot that puck and that. It, you know, I mean, he's uh, I got to know him, obviously played against him my whole career and and uh, a- excellent. And now he's a very successful uh, part of the St. Louis Blues, you know, yeah. management yeah. and that he's done. He's done a very good job. And um, it is crazy, too, how you mentioned, like how big of a tournament the World Juniors is now compared to back then. Like, I'd say probably aside from the Stanley Cup, it's one of the most viewed like weekends or even days, like the gold medal game of all yeah. of the whole entire year in hockey. And, yeah. and like, it's not just Canada and us. Now you see the Finns, the Czechs, the Swedes, everyone's just getting better and better. And yeah. do you remember, was there any like big name Russians or Swedes or Finns back when you played that year that you remember? Um, uh, there was a uh, Rosicka that ended up winning the, I think he won the, the, uh, tournament MVP well, from the, from the Czech Republic's, uh, the Czech team. And he ended up playing a number of years in Boston, but, um, and then there was a, a, a player that played for the Czech team as well. Yuri Dudacek. That was the first round pick of the Buffalo Sabres. And unfortunately he lost his life. I believe it was in a traffic accident a few years after that. Um, other than that. Yeah, I played, I mean, there was, uh, I think Esa I played against, um, there was a couple others. I I, I, I don't think Yarmer Yager was there. No, he, he was too young at the time. But there was mm-hmm. there was there was a few of them. Risto Siltanen, I think, was with yeah. Finland at the right. time and that. But uh, yeah, um, back then it just it, because the, in North America dominated the especially Canada dominated the draft. You know, it used to be at one point, I think when my draft year, I mean, 80% of the players that were drafted that year were from Canada. Yeah. And then, yeah. and then you had, you know, 10 or 15% were American. And then you sprinkled in a, a, a few of the Europeans from Finland, Sweden, and, and what have you. Uh, at that time, uh, it was impossible for any of the communist countries to come over legally, you know, I mean, and that until uh, the Alex McGillney and of course yeah. the Fatisoff and Sneaking Larry Anoff yeah. and all those that, that happened a few years later. So um, now the draft as you guys watch the draft. I mean, it is wide open. It's worldwide. And, and so many countries are represented in the, in the draft. Yeah, no. And I think that's just has to do with the fact there was obviously like less resources back then. Right. I mean, obviously there was a lot of countries that, weren't legally allowed to come over, but I mean, NHL's team started realizing that there is a shit ton of good players over there. Right. And what does that make an impact? So, okay. And then that leads me to another story from the world junior championship. Of course he had Czech, Czechoslovakia or Czech Republic at the time, or I'm not quite sure. Uh, You had the Russian team uh, that came over and we're all in the same hotel. All the teams (laughs) stayed in the same hotel. So like they had breakfast in, in, in one of the, the function rooms that from eight till 10, there's the Russian team, the next door, there's the Finns, the Canadians are there. And then, and then you'd have, you know, different times for, for the U S team and the blah, 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 blah. And that, and I, I felt sorry for like, especially the Russian uh, team 
here's the team and, and they couldn't do anything. I mean, we had obviously the freedom. We could go out and do whatever we want. There's a shopping center in Winnipeg right across the street. We could go. They weren't allowed to go anywhere. Um, and I, I think it, it was a positive yet a negative. The, the Russians, especially at that time, it's unfortunate that they'd never seen food that that was that delicious, that yeah, fresh, fresh fruit. <clears throat> um, they had bottles of Coca-Cola there and that and these players, they were just hoard all this fresh fruit and, and six packs of Coca-Cola and take them back to the room because they, they, they didn't have an opportunity uh, back in their homeland to have that that kind. And then I think the food as well, the big breakfasts and the lunches, it was pretty rich for them. Yeah. And they're, they're not, they're not used to that. Um, I traded uh, two pairs of, because I, I got a head to up right before the tournament. I took uh, a couple extra pair of Levi jeans, <laughs> um, which they, they, they have no access to at the time. Right. And I traded it for a, one of those Russian fur hats, one oh, of the uh, Russian yeah. players yeah. and that, and he was more thrilled <laughs> yeah. at these $10 uh, Levi, <laughs> Levi jeans, jeans that I gave him than, than uh, giving up the, the Russian hat. So you still have it. It, it kind of, uh, it's, it's back home somewhere uh, back in Red Deer. Somebody's got it, but that, that just shows how far the game and the world has come. Oh, absolutely. But when you tell people that you tell the story like that, guys, it, like people are like, really? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. This was a communist country um, that was representing and that, and they, and these, unfortunately these players just did not have any freedoms at all. And we never saw them unless we were on the ice with them or, uh, you know, walking past as they were going from the breakfast, lunch, dinner room back to the rooms. Never yeah, saw that's, them. Uh, yeah, that's unbelievable. I mean, it kind of just shows like the reality that they lived in. And then obviously the control yeah. at the team and coaches still kept over them when they were even oh, here. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it, um, it really was. Yeah. And they and the equipment that they had, these old skates and old gloves where guys would had no leather on the inside of their of their gloves and 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 their these old sticks that were all taped up and probably had nails in them and that it really was i i felt i felt bad at, at the end of the tournament i i remember when we um when we we tied the checks to win the gold medal um right after we won it the 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 check team just came over and they're they're motioning and that I gave my gloves, I gave my uh, stick, wow. uh, and that, and they all like it, yeah. you were, it was like you were giving them new cars or something, and that because um, they wanted to take something back home that they, yeah. they they could remember from the tournament. No, that's crazy. So we'll I guess we'll kind of lighten it up a bit here, but I mean, how big was your ego after you won the World Junior Gold? Like, did you find that it? I mean, <laughs> obviously you got to stay humble being a kid from just Red Deer, but did you like boost your confidence for the rest of the year? Yeah, yeah, it did. It did, guys. It, it did, but it, but the, then again, it, it wasn't as big a tournament as it is now. Yeah, that's true. Um, and that, and we won it. We won the gold medals, and and my brother and I were recognized at a um, <clears throat> at a reception back in our hometown in Red Deer, which was very nice. And yeah. That, but but I mean, two days later after we got back, my brother and I were back uh, in Lethbridge playing for the Lethbridge Broncos in uh, junior. And we were, you know, finishing out the year and getting ready for the playoffs. It's a quick transition, hey? Yeah. Um, and then, so after, after junior year drafted by the Quebec Nordiques, um, did you know how crazy the French fans were out there? Or like, was it something you weren't used to, all those crazy fans? Uh, 
Well, I, you know, being in, in the province of Quebec, I mean, watching the Montreal Canadiens and, and know how rabid their fan base was watching TV and on Hockey Night in Canada, um, I knew about that. But going to Quebec, it was kind of like the, I don't know, the weak sister kind of a thing uh, <laughs> uh, as far as the Nordiques. I mean, it was the Montreal Canadiens are such a huge brand and they, they had such a strong uh, team. And when I joined the NHL, I mean, Montreal still had Larry Robinson and Guy Lafleur, and I mean, they just they they were such a dynamic team and brand. And the Nordiques, though, were were up and coming, and uh, um, it was it was amazing the, the rivalry. So yes, uh, was I a little surprised? Yes, I knew that the 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 fan interest and and just the crazy interest in the teams and and the battle of Quebec and that. But I didn't realize until I got there. And it, it was a lot of fun. I mean, I played seven years in Quebec, enjoyed every minute of it. We beat them a couple of times in the playoffs. They beat us a couple of times. We had the big war there the one year and the Valentine's Day massacre. I was a part of that. Oh, That's oh, awesome. Yeah. <laughs> no, no surprise. But uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, the rivalry was very good. I, and I've said it, I, I just had just did a, an interview with a uh, author that's writing a book actually on the Quebec Nordiques. And he asked me if if I would love to see the Nordiques back in the NHL, I, I love, I, I'd love to see them because yeah. the, the fans are so knowledgeable and so passionate there that it, it would be great. I just don't know how they're going to do it here in the, in the short term. Yeah, no, I mean, I think if you look at, I mean, you use Winnipeg as an example, like yes, the smaller city, but I mean, the reality is the fans are there and I mean, the followings there. So I do think if you look at, I mean, everyone's saying Arizona, if anyone does move, it would be them. Um, but I do think that if they did decide to move, I think Quebec should be number one because of the fact like they're going to have the following and it will not be difficult for them to sell seats at all for like, years well, there's just, the only thing is though, it, it, it's a little bit more than that. There's uh there's a corporate sponsorship and yeah. there's a little bit more involved than just filling. Oh, there's no doubt that they they'd fill the, every seat, every game, but mm. there's a little bit more, more to it than that. And, uh, but I, I, like I said, personally, I'd, I'd love to see them back in the league uh, somehow, some way uh, and someday. And I'll yeah. leave it at that. Yeah. Especially like you said, with them being the little sister, I mean, Montreal gets all the bigger ones in that area anyways. Yeah. So, um, We'll just kind of keep with Quebec quickly here. So, I mean, what what's kind of one of the craziest stories you have when playing in Quebec? I mean, outside of hockey, whether it's like, I don't know, a dressing room story or, I mean, look, like inner, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, just engaging with fans at a local bar or something like that. Yeah, I mean, the, the one thing about it, was because Quebec City is, is fairly small, and when I was there, and it was the only professional sport, I mean, and there's no baseball, football, or anything like that. We were it. So... It, it was kind of a blessing a, a bit that uh, whenever we went anywhere, like myself, you're always recognized, always yeah. recognized. It'd be like, you know, in Calgary um, when Jerome McGinley and, 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 and uh, Mike Vernon and uh, Joe Newendike and, and those guys, uh, they couldn't go to too many places or around town in Calgary and not be recognized. Everybody recognized them. So it was the same way in Quebec city, but the fans were always very respectful uh, very kind to me and that um, I'll tell a quick story. You, you asked for a, a kind of a funny story. So it was my first year. And of course, I don't speak too much French, but I'm taking French lessons, which the team supplied after practice. So I'm taking these uh, French lessons. So the PR director comes to me and our games used to be on on um, 
if we weren't on Hockey Night in Canada, CBC, it was uh, called uh, Cat Saisons, uh, Four Seasons. So um, they asked me and they said, hey, Randy, you think your your French is good enough to do an interview in the first intermission? It will be in French. <laughs> I said, sure, why not? You know, 19 years old or whatever. Yeah. So I go and do the interview. And they gave me the questions in advance. And so I... I was practicing in the afternoon, but I still wasn't, guys. I wasn't very good. So, anyways, back then in the in the locker room, they used to have the TVs up in the corner and that. And my defense partner, my first year was Moose Dupont, Andre Moose Dupont. I was nineteen; he was like thirty-six. So, I do the interview, and I come back to the locker room, and I was so proud of myself that a I, I finished it, and I walked in and I said, "Hey, Moose," and everybody was all standing, sitting around, and I said. What'd you think? What'd you think? And he goes, we couldn't understand a damn word you said. <laughs> but 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 the reason I tell that story, guys, is and I've told it many times, is because I tried. And as oh, we all absolutely. know, you guys, you guys know up in Canada, I mean, the French culture and the French people are very proud of their language and their culture. Mm-hmm. And and because I tried, I could do no wrong after that. Right. Yeah, it, absolutely. It was, it was they they loved it and 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 looking back now i'm sure they couldn't understand a word i was saying i was just blabbering stuff in french and and that but uh but they liked it and that as long as you give the effort there and uh you have a good attitude about their their language and their culture you you'll never have a problem awesome yeah i honestly i know probably like five french words so i'd be in the exact same boat but yeah it's almost like a respect thing as long as yeah. you tried and they saw that you were at least yes, kind of absolutely and, there, and you know what unfortunately unfortunately guys there were so many players that came through while i while i was there that uh did not like the experience yeah, um never left. really accepted uh the french and the culture and everything and they wanted out and demanded trades and that mm. i never did i i uh you know i enjoyed it i enjoyed my time there and you know to be able to play with the stashney brothers dale hunter michelle goulet um, uh, you know, it goes on and on. Dan Bouchard was there. Um, I'm actually so old that, uh, one of our goaltenders, when I first got there was John Garrett. Yeah. Chi-Chi, that's yeah. a, a been a long time analyst for the Vancouver mm-hmm. Canucks uh, yeah. out on in Vancouver. So yeah, he was, um, he was one of our goaltenders and that, but to play with Dale Hunter and, uh, and that, but I was, I was the youngest guy in the team by, by a long shot. And I was the only rookie the first two years. So it was difficult sometimes, you know, you get a little homesick, even though you're playing in the NHL, because really after practice and after games, where am I going? Yeah, you know? exactly. Yeah. So anyways, uh, and you mentioned how obviously hockey was a lot tougher back then, um, in 85, so I guess about four years into your career, you guys made it to the conference finals and played against the Flyers, which includes some of the hardest guys to play against, like Tockett, Dave Brown. Um, so tell us what your mindset was like going into that series um, and the series itself. Like, how was that series? Well, we were we were flying high because uh, you know we'd won the first uh, what one or two uh, rounds, and then had to go yeah. against the Flyers, and that Dave Poulin was. A big part of that as well. <clears throat> what I remember, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, what I remember about that series was obviously the dis- disappointment that we lost. We started the series in Quebec. We won the first two games. We're in Philadelphia and we had a lead in the third period. And it's not like it is today. And we keep going back. Peter Stoshny, our best player, breaks a blade. It broke. Remember those old tuck yeah. skates that we used mm-hmm. to have? He broke it. So 
it wasn't like today where they could just swipe things out and 30 and seconds. Yeah. They had to take the hole and take the rivets out and that we missed them for about 10 or 12 minutes. They were actually did it pretty quick, but in during that time, the flyers came back, overtook the game, won the game and they won. They end up winning four straight against us. And that was, that was yeah. disappointing because we really felt that we had a, a good team to go to the Stanley cup finals that year, but unfortunately we were unable to. Yeah, hockey's a game of momentum, as they all say. I mean, and it, you can just use that as a basis. I mean, it took them 10, 12 minutes to kind of just get that momentum for the series, and they went from there. Yeah. Yeah, um, well, then you know, I mean, Peter Stashney at the time was one of the most dominant players in the game. And, um, yeah, to lose him. I mean, it'd be like, like nowadays, uh, you know, like the Edmonton Oilers losing – Connor McDavid or Leon Dreisaitl yeah. for a period in a, in a real tough, uh, tight game, it's going to make a difference. It's oh, really going to make a difference. difference. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that kind of leads into my next question. So based upon your uh, almost 1,700 penalty minutes, um, your was your role, did you find like it was to like protect guys like Stastny or like Brian Leach when yeah. you were at the Rangers? Um, and kind of like, was it one of the things you planned before a game where you were like, oh, fuck, like I'm probably going to have to go with this guy tonight or – I mean, yeah. this guy's out there, or did was it more like reactionary? Yeah, and I didn't consider myself a heavyweight, um, unfortunately. But a lot of times I was lined up against heavyweights, whatever. <laughs> I like to say, you know, I was in so many fights, whatever. I didn't win too many of them, and that. But I, I knew what my role was, and and the play play tough and and be play tough against. You know, uh, try and clear in front of the net. Those were back in the days when you could cross check guys in front of the net. Obviously, now you can't do that anymore but um but yeah protect your teammates and and that but i never consider myself a heavyweight um and there were some a lot of heavyweights <laughs> back like, then yeah oh my goodness we used to go into uh edmonton and they would have semenko and if they didn't have semenko they would have mcsorley and Jesus all Christ. these guys oh my goodness kind of yeah. scary dudes <laughs> yeah and then you go to calgary and they had tim hunter and jim poplinski <laughs> yeah. and and oh my goodness and then you go then you go into vancouver and they had garth butcher and daryl <laughs> stanley and gino Ojic and it, it it seemed like every team carried three or four really tough tough players yeah and, and that you don't see that anymore mm -hmm. no who would i <clears> guess <throat> like who would you say was the toughest that you had to fight that or ever fought uh Oh, there's a number. I mean, uh, I played when when Bob Probert and Joey Kosher were yeah. in Detroit. Uh, I mean, uh, oh boy, they didn't call them the Bruise Brothers for nothing. Um, <laughs> Not Chris a bad Nyland, to have. Yeah, Chris Nyland was very tough going up, and especially the rivalry and playing against him for almost seven years. And then we ended up being teammates and good friends. We both played for the Rangers at the same time, oh, so that was, was a little that was a little funny. And that every team, yeah, uh, Brown. In Philadelphia, uh, they had um, Craig Baruby was in Philadelphia yeah, at the time, and, and, and then in in Washington as well. And that oh, it goes on and on. Uh, you guys are giving me bad memories now. Thinking back <laughs> and, oh, and that, but yeah, there was there was a lot of there was a lot of tough players back then. Yeah, um, on the internet, which we all know is always one hundred percent correct, it said that you had seventy nine fighting majors, twelve of them which were against Boston. Um, three of them against the Flames, and I'm glad you brought up Tim Hunter because he was actually my junior coach in Moose Jaw. So I'm wondering mm -hmm. if you actually ever got a fight, Tim. Yes, I did, and yes. I didn't How'd realize it. I didn't. Re no, it did not go very well. It did not <laughs> go very well, and especially when I used to come out and play Calgary and Edmonton, and 
you know, I'd have my family there, my parents and, <laughs> and, and that and family and brothers and sisters and friends there and that. And uh, yeah, yeah. The one time uh, I had to square off with Tim Hunter and and uh, I forgot that he's lefty and it, mm-hmm. it didn't end very well. guys. <laughs> it, 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 actually, well. No, it was crazy. Down goes down goes Moeller. Down goes Moeller. <laughs> the amount of stories he had to about like just that era of fighting. I think he fought McSorley like 20 times or oh, something. Oh, I know. Yeah, those are the, the, you talk about the, the, the Montreal Canadians, Quebec Nordiques rival. I mean, the Edmonton Oilers back in those 80s and that when they each of them had not only the great talent, offensive talent on each mm, team, yeah. and obviously with Gretzky and Messi and that, but Calgary had uh, a, a very strong team as well, but they had all those tough guys and that. You know, you talk about, uh, and I end up playing with Joey Kosher as well, and he's a good friend of mine, and he heads up the Detroit Red Wings uh, alumni, but it was, I think, his first year. And we went in there. I was with the Rangers at the time. And I, I had no idea who he was. I had no idea. And we bumped. And next thing you know, the gloves are off. And he swung and hit me right here and split my helmet. And I woke up. This was in the first period. I woke up halfway uh, halfway through the second period on the trainer's table at uh, at Joe Lewis Arena in Detroit. If you would have hit me any, if you would have hit me anywhere in the face, you would have killed me. But he hit me right there in the uh, right there in the helmet. The most solid part. Yeah. Um, and and Joey Kosher was uh, you know, he really sacrificed because his hands are like hamburger now. He used to when I played with him for the Rangers and he would get into the fights, we'd be busting back to Westchester from Madison Square Garden or wherever we're going, and the trainers would put a great big uh five-gallon bucket full of water and ice. And he used to just dunk his hands in the ice and for an hour at a time um, because he had such swollen hands, whatever. And many surgeries later, that's one of the reasons why he had to retire. But uh, what he did and sacrificed for the Detroit Red Wings and the New York Rangers in his career, whatever. um, Yeah, that's uh, that's 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 quite a sacrifice for for some of those players. You don't hear about that anymore. No. No. Yeah. We've talked about, you know, a lot about the difference in lifestyle, obviously, like back then. I mean, the playing styles, but like kind of go let's go into like the transition into like the lifestyle. So, I mean, back like nowadays, you got your cool downs, your protein shakes after the games. I mean, was back then it's like more of a like, let's shower and then go grab some beers or like kind of just explain the difference. Oh, well, my first year in the league of the Quebec Nordiques, I mean, we had 12 guys on the team that smoked. So, and smoking was loud in locker rooms. So, oh and, and after yeah. every game, there'd be a, you know, a 24 pack or two of uh, O'Keefe's uh, there. And and you look back and you can, if you, if you see some of those old interviews, you'll, you'll see guys after the game, like even like Guy Lafleur. Um, you know, they're interviewing him. He's having a cigarette and, you know, he's sipping on a Molson and having a cigarette and, you know, yeah, we played well and blah, 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 and all <laughs> this kind of stuff. Yeah. You don't, you don't see that anymore. And I, I, I mean, it's, it, I think it's good, but that was, that was the, that was the culture. That was the lifestyle back then. Um, guys nowadays, I, I have the utmost respect for NHL players and pro athletes in general, be, um, they, how well they take care of themselves and, 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 and why not? guys uh, the money that you can make and the the careers are relatively short for every every player that plays a thousand games in the national hockey league there's a thousand players that don't get to 20 games in the nhl that's put that in perspective yeah that's an unbelievable you know there's so many guys that that only have a cup of coffee or 
or they get their, their original contract and maybe they play a year in the minors, maybe the second year they get called up in a few games. And then if they don't cut it, you know, they're off in, in the minor leagues uh, or what, or have to go to Europe or whatever. Um, so I, I, I really do have the utmost respect for players nowadays and how they, they treat their bodies. And, and I know our athletes here in Florida with the Panthers, they get the best of the best. We have trainers and, um, and, and coaches and that skill coaches, mental coaches, nutritionalists, um, physiotherapists, chiropractors, you name it. And, and, it, but, but there's high pressure. And I think Absolutely. everybody realized because there's 15 guys that want to take your job and would love to be making three, four, five million dollars a year Absolutely. as a 21, 22 years old. So you can understand how serious these uh, these players take it. Maybe a little bit more than when I played. <laughs> yeah, just a little bit. And I think that has an attest to like why the game is probably the best it's ever been. Like all around, you look at the skill wise and just the speed in general. I mean, I think you could argue that it's the best it's ever been. Obviously, some people from your generation might argue otherwise, but I truly believe like the balance of skill and you got like, you still have like the fights when it's needed. I mean, when a game's kind of going sideways, you still have guys still standing up for their teammates. So I think, I mean, that just is indicative of just how well the players have taken care of their bodies. So. Yeah. And, 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 and that's the way, I think that's the way it should be. I, I tell stories and people don't believe me. I get drafted in the first round, of the Quebec Nordiques, the first three or four years that I was even playing in the league, um, I'd come home at the at the end of the at the end of the year. I'd, I'd work six, seven, eight weeks of hockey school. That was my summer money. I mean, <laughs> do, you, do you think NHL players right now have to work eight weeks of hockey nope. school? In the I, do not, I do not think so. Yeah, <laughs> I wouldn't. I wouldn't doubt that. They can retire after three or four years nowadays. All the money. They, yeah, they, I mean, the, the money's so much uh, so much greater now, and it should be. It should be. I mean, they're world class athletes, and they mm. they take care of, of themselves and and the show and the skill that they that they provide it. I think it's, I think it's right, but it was a lot different back in the early eighties, mid eighties. Yeah. Um, so I guess towards the last two or three years um, of your career in the early nineties, that might've not quite been when that culture kind of started to change, but um, one of your last years you played in Buffalo with some greats. You had LaFontaine, McGillney, Andrew yeah. Chuck, your goalies were Hasek and fear. Just talk about what it was like, playing with those guys um, and also like who was the biggest character out of those guys on your team or just in general? <clears throat> well, you, you don't forget about Dale Howard, Chuck. He right. was there Chuck, as yeah. well. Yeah. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, Mike Ramsey on the fence, uh, Doug Stack. Bodger was there. I mean, my defense partner at the time was uh, Peter Svoboda, who had a, he had a very good career as well. Very uh, good, uh, talented defenseman. It, it was a lot of fun. And we had the characters. You talk about characters. We had guys like Colin Patterson was there. Davey Hannon. Um, uh, Wayne Presley was there. Uh, oh, my. Gord Donnelly. Uh, Donald Audette. <laughs> and we had so many different personnel. Robbie Ray. Brad May. <laughs> May. Oh, boy. We had a tough team, too. But... Um, uh, yeah, to, 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 to play with Dominic Tassik, which, you know, t t we traded for him mm -hmm. and nobody had really known. I mean, he'd only played a few games with Chicago yeah. and, and Mike Keenan was there. He didn't really was, wasn't a big fan of his. So they made the trade and, and, you know, all of a sudden the hall of fame career later and what he did and for the Buffalo Sabres, but it 
It was it was special to to play with guys like uh, the talent of Howard Chuck, but um, uh, Lafontaine and McGillney were just on fire, mm-hmm. absolutely, absolutely on fire. And and uh, uh, Alex McGillney was uh, was 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 really something special too. <laughs> I got along great with Alex. He got along great with everybody. But here's a guy. He hated the practice. He hated to fly. He hated everything about the game, except the. <laughs> except the the paychecks you know <laughs> but i tell you what though when he stepped on the ice for the games boy could he fly and uh he was a, in attack mode all the time but it was just it was it was kind of funny because he hated everything else about um <laughs> about the game and he and he really was feel, fearful of flying and and that caused him a lot of stress and that and going on and, and back then when we did charter we had these Air Ontario double prop planes that were just Turbulence. like all over the place. <laughs> yeah. And, oh yeah, I mean, it, it wasn't pretty. And and so many times we, and flying and living in Buffalo and having to go to Toronto and and Montreal and and Quebec and Hartford up in the Northeast and all these snowstorms and that. Um, it's amazing we that that we didn't uh, nosedive one of those planes because <laughs> they're going through those snowstorms at the time. Yeah. It was it was pretty uh, white knuckle, that's for sure. Yeah. So that team, I mean, we like we look at the record, and you guys were around five hundred. Like, kind of, what, what happened? That like, did you guys obviously expect to do a lot better than that? Yeah, I, I, I think so. Um, yeah, you know, you look back and on, like you're mentioning, on paper, we should have been a lot better, and 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 that. But uh, yeah, uh, uh, obviously. Remember, we won one series against the Boston Bruins, I think, and then uh, we lost a, a a series against the New Jersey Devils. And we went to what five or six overtimes, and it was Dave Hannon that scored the end up winning the the the, uh, the game that that lasted till like three o'clock in the morning. And then we had to go back to to New Jersey, and we lost a real tough game and lost the series against the Devils. And that was heartbreaking because we really thought that was our chance to maybe go far in the playoffs, but yeah. it never materialized. No, that's, that's, that sucks. Um, so the one guy that everyone's probably waiting for me to ask about is Gretzky. Um, you and him have almost identical stat lines. Um, <laughs> ah! <laughs> so do you agree that he was, is, is the best player of all time yeah. or, or was there somebody, okay. So I guess if you do believe so was, who else was, Maybe kind of I didn't get near enough recognition. I've said it for years, guys, and I I haven't changed my tune. Wayne Gretzky is the greatest player to ever, ever, ever play the game. Good. He he was not the most uh, talented though that I've ever seen. Who was Mario Mario Lemieux? Yeah, Yeah. Mario Lemieux was. He was unbelievable, and that that's no slight on 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 Gretzky. And and, uh, Wayne is 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 great a person, and what he's done to grow the sport especially in the states and what he did and what he's continues to do um representing the game of hockey the greatest saying that i've ever heard in my life the greatest saying was from wayne gretzky everything i have is is because of the game everything that i have and accomplish is because of the game and i really respect that and I, i i feel i'm in the same position as well everything that i have is is basically because of the game and and uh you have to respect the game but um no, he he was. Here's a quick story. So, right when they're in their height, 86, 87, around that time when they're just flying and that Gretzky, Messier, and 
and yeah, 200 and some points a, a year. So we go out, I'm with the Nordiques and we go out to Edmonton and we start a road trip out in Edmonton. No, we started in Winnipeg. We won in Winnipeg, went to Edmonton and all of a sudden here we go. And it's a big, big game. And the, and the, you know, the Stashney brothers, whatever, um, we were up five, I believe it was five to one with like two minutes left in the first period. We had shocked them. They just weren't ready yeah. to play, whatever. We're up five to one. Dale Hunter takes a major penalty for high sticking, five minute high sticking or whatever. I I believe we lost 11 6. <laughs> <laughs> we were up five to one. We lost 11 6. Yeah. It, 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 Paul Coffey had a goal and five assists. Gretzky had two goals, three assists. Uh, Messier, uh, Glenn Anderson, and that it was an onslaught. And then after that disappointment, we go down the road to Calgary, and I think we lost four nothing to the Flames, and we never touched the puck. There was a lot of there was a lot of teams, guys, uh, back in those years where a lot of teams went over for Alberta. They, yeah. they would go oh, in absolutely. and just get slaughtered yeah. by the by the Oilers and that. But anyways, in saying that, you asked the question. Uh, I think Gretzky was the greatest player to ever play the game. Um, unfortunately, I never got to see uh, only on TV Bobby Orr, big Bobby Orr fan. Yeah. Um, and the utmost respect, uh, obviously, uh, uh, Gordy Howe, Mr. Hockey. Uh, but Mario Lemieux was really... The, the some of the things that he could do with with the puck at and 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 that kind of size but he had the reach and and the moves that he could make and but the other thing too is that they were surrounded uh well not not at the beginning for Mario Lemieux because uh you know the Penguins struggled for the first couple of years he got in the league but they built a pretty good team and he had a lot of weapons around him and of course Gretzky with those Oiler teams he had a lot of weapons and and a lot of people around it and that, but two very special players that uh, uh, dear to my heart that have grown the game. And, and, and we can, you know, I'm very, very proud that I was able to, to play against them. I actually have a picture in the kitchen right here. Yeah. I can kind of see Yeah, Can you see over there yeah. that um, that's me and Mario Lemieux, a good friend of mine was a photographer for the uh, Buffalo Sabres named Billy Whippard. And he took that picture and actually gave that picture me and, and Mario and uh, at a game at the uh, the old odd auditorium in Buffalo. So, um, yeah, that's one of my that's one of my favorites. Uh, that's awesome. That. I've, I've got a few got a few of them around in that here. Yeah. Well, this has been it's been like absolutely phenomenal. Um, so I'll just like we'll wrap up with one more quick question. I mean, what do you think is one of the funniest or like most memorable stories that you would have to have during your playing days? Um, well, I'll tell I'll tell you the story with the day I got drafted. I got drafted in the at the Montreal form. I went down to Montreal and had dinner with my agent. We did a couple of interviews with a couple of teams, but I knew that if I if and the Quebec Nordiques basically said that if I was available at pick number eleven, I was going to be picked by the Nordiques. Okay, <clears throat> so we get up in the morning. Back then, the draft was only one day, and it was they started at like. Nine o'clock in the morning, and then they went right till eight o'clock at night, but it was done in one day. They do the first round. I get drafted 11th overall. I come out of the stands. I come down. You know, the PR guy brings me over the table. You meet everybody and blah, 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 blah. Michelle Bergeron's there. Maurice Fillion, the general manager. Back then, I don't, I don't know if they did it any other places but up in the in the montreal forum the old montreal forum they had a very fancy restaurant that was upstairs <clears throat> after the first round they broke for lunch 
everybody broke for lunch. So we had a table, the whole table, and they invited me to go up and have lunch with the team. Oh, you know, general manager, the coach and all the scouts and everybody were all there. So I got my tweed, my tweed uh, blazer on with my <laughs> tweed tie. Okay. So I go upstairs with these guys and we're all standing around and I didn't realize or whatever, but they'd already served the soup cup of soup and it was tomato soup. And everybody had a cup of tomato soup in this table that had probably 12, 13, 14 chairs around. This was ours. All right, let's, let's sit down. They're going to serve lunch or whatever. So I go to sit down and my tie goes right into the tomato <laughs> soup, <laughs> right into the tomato soup. And I'm looking around and there's still, there's only a couple of us that have sat and the rest are starting to, you know, make their way to sit down. And I didn't think that anybody was looking. So I took it out and I rang the tomato soup out <laughs> like of my towel. tweed towel. And I grabbed my, my, my uh, napkin that I had, whatever. And I wrapped it around and I just shoved it down into my pants as far as I could <laughs> to make sure. So if, if, if pictures later, once the draft's over, the, the my white shirt down by my belt buckle looked like I got stabbed. It was all red, it's like somebody had stabbed me or whatever. But uh, very embarrassing. That, and that was my that was my uh, draft day. But it was an exciting day. The other story that I tell about my draft day was um, right before the draft started. And of course, everybody we're all nervous. We're all sitting in the stands, and we're just like, oh, and that. And of course, when you're nervous, you got to go and go to the washroom, right? Yeah. I come down out of the stands and I come around the corner at the old Montreal form and I go into the bathroom and I'm standing at the stall and, and go into the bathroom and I look up and it's Larry Robinson who was <laughs> like this big. And I, and I went like this and I stuck out my hand to shake it <laughs> Mr. Robinson, I, 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 like right I in the urinal. Oh yeah, right at the urinal. I, I shook and I shook his hand. He probably looked at me and went, "What is what this the, guy doing?" What or whatever. He what hasn't hell? washed his hands. But I didn't. I didn't. Uh, I didn't uh, give up that opportunity to shake no. uh, Larry Robinson's hand. He was one of my heroes as well. Of course, growing up and seeing him almost on a weekly basis on Hockey Night in Canada. Mm -hmm. So there's your two stories of uh, a uh, wet behind the ears. Um, <laughs> Guy from the prairies when he got to got to Montreal. Uh, the first year, go out. My first year, we go to this fancy restaurant and everybody's ordering Caesar salad. And I said, "Yeah, I'll have a Caesar salad. Can I get the Thousand Island dressing with that?" I didn't. I had no idea that Caesar salad came with its own dressing. <laughs> I thought it was Thousand Island dressing. So those oh are the God. things. Those are the things that you learn when you're 18, yeah. 19 years old, guys. That's yeah. incredible. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much, Randy. This has been absolutely phenomenal. Yeah. Well, it's my pleasure. Anytime, and uh, good luck with the podcast and and that. Hopefully, you guys uh, warm up and stay warm and, and enjoy yeah, yourself and 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 uh, good luck in school as well. Awesome. Yeah. Thank, thank you, you so Randy. much. All right. Thanks, guys. Awesome interview. Uh, like we said, even before uh, we sent it over, I mean, we knew it was going to be absolutely phenomenal. Um, Kale, how did you how did you enjoy it? Yeah, honestly, like we said earlier, it was just it was so much fun. And obviously, he's had years of experience, and he works in the broadcast industry, so you'd expect him to be a good speaker. But it was just like so natural, and every single story he said kind of just perfectly flowed into a new one. 
And it didn't seem like it was like we even had staged questions. Yeah, the no, naturals that could have. Yeah, it was. Done. It was honestly perfect. I mean, nothing was forced, and that's really what. Not to tour our own podcasting home, it was is about. Um, I can't wait for the amount of people who are going to chirp us for saying, "Wow, these guys are just trying to be spitting chicklets." Yeah, I mean, that's going to be pretty. Funny. Even though we're definitely going to tag spitting chicklets just so they can see that we're better than them. Now. It was a very like chicklets esque interview. It like, was because like there's some serious talk, and then we kind of get down like a little. I mean, I made a couple jokes about his stat line with Gretzky being yeah. the exact same. Yeah, we wanted we wanted to ask him if he was a boob or buck guy, but uh, we kind of figured it wouldn't <laughs> yeah. be too appropriate for the situation. At the very end, just ruined the whole entire interview with that question. Yeah, he just goes, fuck <laughs> you guys, delete this whole thing. Um, yeah, so that was Randy Moeller, absolutely phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Um, he mentioned after that he'd be willing to come on again, so if you guys like this one... Um, We'll probably see it again. Yeah. Yeah. Let us know um, if you do, because if, if you guys do, like you just said, we'll definitely have them back on. Yeah. I mean, that one story about the tomato soup, I mean, just imagine on your draft day. I mean, you, I would cry. You, you ruin your tie by dipping in tomato soup, and then you basically ruin the rest of your dress clothes. Ruin by the trying first to, impressions even, too. Yeah, by trying to hide the tie. Who's this fucking slob? Yeah. Uh, unbelievable interview, like we said. Um, all right. Let's transition now. Uh, Kale, what'd you get up to this weekend? Oh, I guess it's, it's been a while. This past weekend, so a couple of days ago, I was, well, fuck, man. I work now, which I mentioned a few times, and I just basically do school and fucking marinate and eat food on weekdays, and then I work on weekends because that's all I have time for. So, yeah, Friday, Saturday, worked. Sunday was my dad's birthday, actually. Big 5-1, so shout out to the old man. Um, my mother and I went and, fuck, <laughs> this was actually hilarious. We went up to Crossfield, so not far from Airdrie, to surprise him because he's coaching out there. And uh, he didn't know we were coming. We get there. I sent him a picture of literally him on the bench right across from me coaching. He replies about second period intermission between second and third. He goes, where'd you see that? I'm like, what? what do you mean? <laughs> so I'm like, took it. And then I didn't want to like text him again saying, like, where the fuck are you? Like, hurry up. So he goes, you were at the game? I'm like, yeah, I'm still here. You in the parking lot? I'm with mom. Five minutes later, he goes, we just fucking left. I'm like, oh, shit. Your dad just left. He had no clue we were there. We were there to surprise him. I don't understand where he thought you would have got a photo of him coaching, man. (laughs) I mean, it's not like he's coaching the NHL when there's photographers and shit. Twitter. Twitter's posting about him. Head coach Jason Clouston. But I mean, mean, realistically, it was his birthday. So maybe he thought like they posted a shout out for his birthday. But no, it was just me. Nope. Just just you being your dad's personal. It was only five minutes out. So we we met him on the highway. But. It was yeah. all. It was all good. Very cool. It was um, funny. Other yeah. than that, how'd you? Uh, it was good. You I, I won a lot of money this weekend. Um, first time in a long time that I've won money betting. That's such bullshit. Man. Um, I won many. Wow. I actually. Sorry, I should have went with that. I won many uh, fights on the weekend. Uh, I won six out of six bets. <laughs> you won fights. Um, I didn't win fights. Um. I mean, I had no other choice but to bet on Francis Naganu. Yeah. Um, even if you don't know who he is, just look up a picture and you'll understand why I bet on him. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a freak of nature, and that just kind of leads me it's to like, a quick question, Kale. Huh? Would you rather fight Francis Naganu or a silverback gorilla? Gorilla. Yeah, for I, sure. I genuinely think I'd be able to <laughs> evade a gorilla. I think this, like, I I wouldn't be able to like get away from this guy. He's six foot. I think he's six five two ninety or something. No, he's two forty five. Like, but pure muscle. I don't know he's, why I said two ninety. Yeah, I was just trying. Two ninety is like a, a f- offensive lineman in the <laughs> NFL. Still just fucking, he's boys. huge. And like, if again, if you're a fan of UFC, you know that he has like the most oh, powerful you know who punch of all time yeah. ever recorded in history. Yeah, no, he literally does. Um I saw the trailer for that Jackass Forever movie. He mm-hmm. like punches one of the guys in the nuts and I like what the I, fuck? I don't know, man. I I don't man, know. Even if a, I flick, do, a flick, a flick of balls I, hurts. I wouldn't do that for a, a movie, man. I wouldn't like I wouldn't do that for 
Actually, I, pro- I probably have a price. I probably have a realist, like I wouldn't hundred thousand dollars. I'd probably well, do it. Okay, sure, but like a realist, like a thousand. No, I wouldn't be able to do that. I think a hundred thousand would be my price. The fights were good though, because yeah, I was fucking yeah. man. Saturday, I was working. I literally missed Saturday football. I missed Battle of Alberta, and I missed the fights because of All work. Saturday. I had a three till ten thirty shift, which yeah. is literally three till ten thirty. Everything was just if you're a yeah, sports fan, was, you were in a heyday. It was an unbelievable day of sports. Um, even if you don't like sports, I mean, I, I know a lot of people, um, friends of ours who are females, um, dudes who don't even like sports. They just they had said it was fucking awesome watching the fights and everything going on. So um, that was that. Um, yeah, I won money, so it feels good. I, yeah. I haven't won money in a long time, and. Um, for me, uh, my bank account was hurting, so it was nice to get like a nice little boost of a few hundred dollars. Well, I'm glad you made money because I haven't made money in a bet for like two months. You were in working fact, though, so you were making money. Yeah, actually true. I got paid today. Yeah. Fucking feels good, but I'll spend it all on rent. But um, I fucking, the only bets I have left, I have two bets. They were all futures. I have fucking, uh, oh, I have only one left, the Bengals. I need the Bengals to win. <laughs> fucking Super Dude, Bowl. To be unreal. I wouldn't mind if they did. That'd be uh, if they do, awesome. I win a lot of money because I bet it at the um, start of the year. Yeah. Uh, that was basically our week. Like, not, nothing too exciting no. um, for the weekend. Because school, man. It's too yeah, fucking busy yeah. now. Life's busy nowadays. Um, I just need to quickly rant about that fucking guy in our apartment building who works here. Mm-hmm. The one who looks like the dog with the hoodie meme. Yeah. You know what meme I'm talking about. He has about. the world's smallest face. His face literally looks like that dog. Yeah. But today I was working out in the gym and there's like, there's a foot between me and the mirror. Um, and I was on a bench and like not, not enough room for a person quite honestly, but this guy decided that he had to walk right in front of me and stand there to put tape on a wall that was to the right by two feet. But he decided that he had to stand right in front of me. So not only did I have to look at his weird ass face, but I also had to smell his body odor mixed with cigarettes. And again, not only that, but why the fuck wouldn't he wait? 35 seconds he could have he also could have asked hey yeah do you mind moving quickly but he just literally walked in this i'd say he had about like i'm not a mathematical guy or like um, even though you're in accounting yeah i'm not a mathematical <laughs> architecture or anything like that but i think he probably had like four square feet to work with okay. in front of me that he had to stand in i think i don't know i don't know well, that is, I don't know. I mean, it's not a whole feet. lot, but regardless, it's just like, holy fuck, man, personal bubble. I just couldn't, like, like end with COVID, too. Like, I don't, and yeah. the <laughs> fact that you smell like cigarettes, man. Sure. Like, He's one of those guys who just, you know, for a fact, hates his job, and he wants everyone else to just know it. I, and I told you this, like, I told you this when I was coming up from the gym, and I was like, he has that type of personality where he would blame everyone for where he is, like, why he's yeah. doing maintenance in an apartment building. Mm-hmm. Like, he would blame other people. Like, there's, it's fine to work maintenance in an apartment building, yeah. but if you asked him about his career, he would be like, oh, I'm here because I got fucked over by this yeah. guy and this happened. Workers comp fucking couldn't pay me enough so I had to get this fucking job. Yeah, or some shit like that. He, he robs me the wrong way. That's all I'm going to say. But yeah, no, that's fucking, that's, that was today and that was the weekend. I got fucking nothing else because my life's literally just been school yeah. this week. Um, basically, whenever you've been busy and like I haven't had shit to do, um, I've put myself through the agony of watching Too Hot Tandle season three. <laughs> yeah, I can um I, told, I, I said that for fucking season two i'm never watching that yeah i won't I, like i won't get into it for the like into detail for the sake of anyone and everyone listening um but here i have two major takeaways from this season or like the show in general mm-hmm. um number one every person on the show for season two and three is so fucking stupid because the producers don't even change the set or anything no like you know what sh- they know exactly yeah, where they it's are all fucking fake it looks the exact same so Number one, I hate how staged it is. Yep. And the second takeaway that I have, and this has to do with me, is compared, like, I actually have a pretty good personality. 
if I compare myself to any of those fucking dudes on any of those seasons, I think I have a pretty good personality. Yeah, it's literally one of those shows where it's like, because again, from two out to handle season one, which I actually didn't mind because it was like a new show, and they they actually and it was, I believe they didn't know it was right really, when COVID hit too, right? Yeah, so it was like you need it was, something to watch. Yeah, exactly. But I believe like well, not that I believe I know because I've seen it. Every single fucking person, whether they were out after like the first eliminations, whatever, they're rich now and they're famous. And these fucking dumbasses in season three, same thing's gonna happen. It's just social media. They're gonna get all these yeah. followers, all these sponsors, everything, and just because they're stupid. Yeah, and it's and it's just because they have the publicity, right? And they like have all, fake tits. All pl- that's not, why they're not on the, the show. dudes. The dudes don't. Probably they got some sort of injection. Testosterone. They yeah. definitely all take. <laughs> they got decent bodies. Yeah. yeah, there's a few guys who you for sure like. Just, that's it's fucking annoying, man. Like they're not. It's supposed to be a reality TV show, but it's not real. The situations yeah. are nothing. That would never happen yeah. in real life. And I'd say about like if if you saw the new season, I'd say about half of them aren't even that good looking. Yeah. So well, fuck. compared to the first first season was phenomenal. Um, yeah, so that's too hot to handle season three. No more fucking um, If I gave it a rating, um, I'd just give it anxiety. Yeah. Nathan Kale's rating scales. I give it anxiety because obviously I did watch it, but I was just waiting to get to the end to see who like won. Yeah. I'll be honest. So did you finish it? I did finish it. Well, so, don't spoil it because people probably some, oh, some yeah, of you I fucking idiots are probably watching. Um, this, so. That's today's show. We blabbered on enough. We had a really long interview, but it was fucking phenomenal. Yeah. Um, that's our lives right now. Nothing too exciting. We're really taking it easy with these lockdowns. There's not too much exciting things to do. Life so, um, Kale, uh, shower thoughts of the day. Shower thought of the day, which we're still going to have. We're never going to get rid of it. Never, ever. Uh, I can go first here. Sure. Okay. Um, so I was watching Avengers Endgame the other day for like the 1500 37th time. time. I think that's actually legit. Probably 37th accurate. accurate. Like, I think that's an accurate number. <laughs> and I had a thought about tr- like time traveling and like, all the theories people have about it. Mm-hmm. So you know how like they say if you make like a minor change in the past, like it's gonna drastically change the future. Yeah. How come people in the present don't think they can have that same impact on the future? Oh my god, it's a deep one, right? You're getting deep with that. But like, I don't understand why. Like, if you like think about it in hindsight, just like that. Think about it. If you did a minor income, like oh fuck, outcome in the past, like say if I threw a paper airplane at someone who didn't expect it before. Mm-hmm. Their theory is that things are going to drastically change in that timeline. Okay. But how come things I do right now, if yeah. I change my, like, how come that wouldn't change it? That's, I don't understand. Well, That's a flaw in time travel. So I guess you, I guess you just never know, man. You just never know. That's such a terrible explanation. Well, it's, what <laughs> you just never know. You're supposed to be an expert on time traveling. That's what right. I'm trying to understand. Let's just say once you get to, like, 10 years down the line... Yeah, so I can't even fucking. I'm trying to. I'm trying to say something, but I can't even fucking think of the words because it's actually such a fucking weird concept. But I know what you mean. I'll just put it that way. Time traveling is whack. And yeah. Know. Sorry guys. I yeah. Sorry fucking, guys. I don't know time travel. Yeah. But yeah, I thought. I mean, yeah, I thought uh, that was well, good. My, I'm, mine sounds so dumb now. My shower thought. <laughs> That's why I went first. That's why I want to go first. <laughs> you want to? You want to hear? It? Should I even say it? Yeah, just go ahead. We can do it quick. We can literally okay. say it and then end the show. It's impossible to touch any reflection that isn't your own. I can't touch your reflection. I can touch my reflection because I'm it's my finger. But I can't touch your reflection. Crazy. Right? Fuck you. <laughs> yeah. Whatever, man. Go fucking right, guys, go change uh, the future, you fucking. Thanks asshole. for listening to this interview, guys, if you made it this far. Uh yeah, that's, that's all I got. What do you want to say something no, before we sign it. off? Love you guys. Bye. <laughs> Peace out.
It is your favorite girl. That's right. It's the Ali Mars, the one and the only. Everyone else just ain't me. I am the host of Welcome to Mars, a lifestyle podcast where nothing is off the table. I have come a long way from sex and dating and have transformed the new vibe to all things lifestyle. We still talk sex, but I'm more interested in the journey, where people have come from, how they made it, and where they're going. Subscribe or follow to a brand new look and a brand new era. Welcome to Mars. Subscribe or follow on Apple, Spotify, Google, or at theallymars.com. Because even with the new look, I'm still that same bitch you love to hate. The Podcast Super Friends is a monthly meeting of five podcast producers. Hi, I'm Catherine O'Brien from Branch Out Programs in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I'm John Gay from Jagged Detroit Podcasts. I'm Matt Kundle from the Sound Off Podcast Network. I'm David Yes from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. And I'm Johnny Peterson from Straight Up Podcasts. Together, they form the Podcast Super Friends, an alliance of podcast masterminds sharing best practices, insights, and discussions to help make you a better podcaster. Follow or subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or at soundoff.network.